right, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. We'll continue our study of the Gospel of Matthew, which is a great study so far, so so good, and been been real real great uh, study. Uh, slowly going through it, and today we come to a great story. I mean, sometimes when you're preaching through the uh, verse by verse, you'll come across some things that's kind of like, you know, that's going to be tough to preach. But you get to this passage here today in Matthew 8, look at verses 23 through 27, and you come across a great story. This is a well-known story. You've heard it in Sunday school. I'm sure my kids have heard this story. You heard it in Sunday school growing up if you were in Sunday school. You've heard sermons on this. I don't know a preacher that hasn't preached this passage. You've seen pictures of this story. You guys know this story probably better than, than, than most people know it. Uh, probably better than most stories you know in the Bible. This is one of the, the main stories of the Gospels. It is Jesus calming the storm. I said on Wednesday night, this, this passage here pretty much preaches itself. I could read it. You guys know it. We could go home and everybody would say, Amen. Right? Get out of here early. Go to, go to Fall Fest. Uh, but what I want us to do today, because it's well known. It's almost too well known. It's almost like we're too used to it. We know it too well. So what I want to do this today as we study this is I want us to look at it with fresh eyes. I want us to look at it like it's the first time we've ever heard it. I want us to look at it like when our children would hear it downstairs for the very first time and their eyes would open and their jaw would drop and they'd become in, in awe, amazed at who Jesus is when He does this. I, I don't want us to be too technical. I want us to see who He is and what He does here. So I want, us, I want it to affect us. I want it to, uh, to move us as we read and study this passage. I don't think we get moved by Scripture. We read it, we study it, we move on. I want it to move us. I want it to hit in our minds and get to our hearts. And we walk out of here just, just amazed at what this story says. Uh, so we're going to look at it today. I titled the sermon, The, the Master of the Storm. Because there's only one that can be the master over storms. And we'll see who it is. So let's stand together and I'll read these verses to you. Uh, starting in verse 23 of Matthew 8. And we'll go through verse 27. And we'll look at the master of the storm. Uh, let's keep our eyes on him. Starting in verse 23. This is a great passage. You guys are here on a good day. Verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. It's a great, great prayer. Verse 26, And he saith unto them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey? Yeah, this should move us today. It should amaze us. Uh, so we're going to look into it, spend some time in it. Let's pray together, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for our Savior. We thank you for who he is. We thank you for passages like these that remind us just how powerful he is and how puny we are. And God, I pray that today as we study this, that it wouldn't be just another hour-long sermon and we suffer through it. But I pray that this would move us today. Not just these words, but by your Spirit that you would move us today. We need to hear this. We need to be reminded of this. That if Jesus can control this storm, He can control any storm in our lives. Amen. God, please teach us today. Move us today by your Spirit. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I heard a quote this week. I read it this week. And actually in a sermon. 
Uh, Mark Twain said, and I think you've heard this quote before, and it's a good way to start off with this sermon. He, he said, Mark Twain said, everybody talks about the weather, but nobody is doing anything about it. And that, I think that's a true statement. We love to talk about the weather. I believe that the older I get, the more I want to talk about the weather. I don't know why that is. When I was a kid, I never worried about the weather. My kids today, they don't worry about the weather. But some, for some reason, I get up in the morning and I look at my weather app. I get on, I turn on. I used to uh, love watching John, Johnny Wood on, on Channel 5 and seeing what the weather is going to be. Uh, the, the weather is, we talk about it all the time. It's, we have weather apps. We have uh, weather forecasters. And we talk about it all the time. We constantly check the weather. What's it going to be tomorrow? I have a seven-day forecast on my phone. And I know what it's going to be or what they say it's going to be seven days from now. Uh, well, it seems like we're not just, they're not weather forecasters, they're weather guessers is what they are. Uh, but we talk about the weather a lot. But the reality of this quote is, we, we don't have any, we can't, nobody's doing anything about the weather. We can't control the weather. It's out of our control. It's out of our hands. Nothing makes us feel more helpless, more weak, more vulnerable, more puny than the weather. We can't control it. It's been that way throughout history. As you see, storm after storm after storm. We can predict the weather. We can guess the weather. But we cannot control the weather. There's nothing any one of us in here can do that if it says it's going to rain tomorrow, that we're going to walk out and say, I'll stop that. Or if it's going to snow. Here in a few months, it's going to start snowing. And kids are going to say, you know what? I'd like a day off from school. I'm going to go out there and say, snow, and it's going to snow. We talk about the weather, but there's nobody doing anything about the weather. And, and the Jews used to say, in the Old Testament, they would say that nobody can do anything about the weather but God. Nobody can bring the wind but God. Nobody can stop the wind but God. Nobody can bring uh, drought weather but God. The only one that controls the weather is God Himself. None of us here today can control the weather. Nobody throughout history can control the weather. Only God controls the weather. Only God brings the rain. I read a quote this week. I can't remember who it was by. But it said, every drop of rain hits its target. Every drop that God sends it's exactly where He wants it to hit. You can, can you imagine? We had rain all night last night. And every one of those drops, God is saying, hit here and hit here and hit here. God is in control of the weather. No man has ever been able to control the weather. Which is a great start off for this sermon. Psalm 107.29 says, He causes the storms to be still. It's a great statement. Only God controls the weather. So if only God can control the weather, and we turn here and see Jesus controlling the weather, now let's put two and two together. Anybody here good at math? Two plus two equals, you guys know that, it equals four. And if only God can control the weather, and we see Jesus controlling the weather, then the final answer is, Jesus is God. And we see that here. It's a great statement of, of His deity, of who He is. Watch this with me. Jesus, as we get ready to start the story here, Jesus is getting in this boat. This ship, and he's exhausted. He's wore out. We, we talked about it a couple weeks ago that he has spent a whole day teaching and healing people. Multitudes upon multitudes of people have been coming to him and they've been asking for healing. And it says that he healed every single one of them that came to him. He spent his whole day healing and teaching, and he is exhausted. Can you imagine in that time, 
100 degree weather, thousands of people wanting healed, and Jesus is doing everything that they ask. He is wore out, and to get away from the crowd, he can't walk away from them, he has to sell away from them. So him and his disciples get in a ship, and he says, let's go. And they get in the ship so he can get some rest. So he can get, get, uh, go, go to sleep and he's going to do that. He, and I think he has an appointment with demons later on. He's got an appointment he has to keep next week where he's going to cast out some demons. But he gets into this ship. They sail across the sea. And it doesn't take very long where they run into a storm. And Jesus calms this storm. And what we see here, and I'm going to jump into the passage because I, I want to get into it. It's such a great story. But what we see here is this is a miracle on the most, on, on the, the grandest scale imaginable. You can't imagine how powerful someone has to be to control the weather. And Jesus does that. Showcasing to us and spotlighting to us that Jesus is God. If only God controls the weather, then Jesus is God. And then it also shows us here, and I've already mentioned it once, that Jesus can be trusted to handle any storm that we're going to go through. Amen. If He can handle this storm, then don't you ever doubt that He can control your storms in your life. This storm is so powerful and outrageous, and I mean, it's a it's a hurricane force wind, and they're in the eye of that hurricane. We'll talk about that in a minute. And if Jesus can calm that storm, then He can calm and control any storm in any life that faces. So we learn here in this passage, I love this, that He is God and He can be trusted with the most out of control situations that we will ever face. Amen. He can be trusted. So let's look at it today. Jesus is the Lord of the storm. I'm going to give you three points as we work our way through this outline, starting with number one, the crisis in the storm. In order for there to be a miracle, there has to be a crisis. I looked through the Bible, looking at miracles, and I, never, I couldn't find one that didn't start out with a crisis. So if you've ever had a crisis, you are in perfect place for a miracle. So here's the crisis. Look, look at what was taking place here in verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And he's getting into a ship on the Sea of Galilee. This is the, this is the sea that he's going to be on. It's been called one of the most beautiful bodies of water on planet Earth. The Jews called the Sea of Galilee... They said about it that God created this sea for himself. That God created, and he did, all the oceans, all the bodies of water in the world. But the Sea of Galilee, the Jews would say, he created this one just for himself. And you say, why do they say that? Let me give you some details about it. I know you guys may not care, but you need to know the water he's getting into. It's 13 miles long. It's 8 miles wide. It's more like a lake than it is a sea. And this journey, he would get into this boat and they'd travel across probably about a six to eight mile journey. So it would take most of the night for them to get from one side to the other. This body of water, the Sea of Galilee, is also almost 700 feet below sea level. And it has mountains all around it with cliffs that could go as high, I think it's 1,500 feet. So if you imagine that with me, it's very, very low and the mountains around it are very, very high. So it creates almost a bowl effect around the whole sea, which causes these almost tornado, hurricane storms to constantly be on the Sea of Galilee. Even today, if you get out on it, and I, I've not been there, but I've, I've heard stories and even today, you get out there, and, and, and in the evenings when it turns dark, there's storms that start, start stirring up, whirlwinds, it, almost every night. In the wintertime, it gets, it's even worse. 
I'll say this just to add it in. They say it's also the easiest place in the world to catch fish. Because <coughs> in that time, they needed two things in the desert. They need, they need food and they need water. This is fresh water with, uh, with as much fish as you need. God supplied everything His people needed right there. This is God's body of water. If that, you could, even Josh could catch fish in this, in this sea. <laughs> so again, it's very common for bad storms to get stirring on the Sea of Galilee. And these fishermen, they're getting on the boat with him. They've been on this sea a lot. So they have seen every storm coming and going. They've been through it. They fought them. They got to the other side. The storms to them were no big deal. You say, who's on the ship with him? I'm just giving you some details here. It says his disciples are on the ship with him. When he entered into this ship, there's probably his disciples followed him. It's not all 12 of his disciples. Most people say it's anywhere from 7 of his disciples to 12. And they're in this small little ship. It's a small boat. It's, a, it's open. Probably didn't even have a sail to it. Uh, they, they found just recently a, a boat from the first century in that area. They call it the Jesus boat because they believe it's exactly what the boat that he got in would look like. And it would seat about 12 to 15 people. Just a small little sailing vessel that they would get out in the ship. And, and they'd have oars rowing their way to the other their side. And these disciples got in with him. And I like this. They had no idea what they were getting into. He said, let's go. And they said, okay. And they get in this little bitty ship with him. They're in the middle of God's will. They're with Jesus. And they have no idea what they're getting into. So as we finish verse 23, and when he's entered into his ship, his disciples followed him. Everything is fine. All is well in my mind. See, I like to think about these things. There's a soft breeze. Just, just in your mind, think about it. It's nighttime. The sun has gone down. They're getting in the ship. I imagine there, there would be a per, perched place where the captain would see it, the person who's doing the major rowing. There's a place underneath it where Jesus has laid his head and got a pillow and he's laid down to go to sleep. And Peter probably is the captain of it. Just imagine it. He's the captain and he's... He has these other disciples, about seven of them, and they're rowing. They're seeing the moon. They're seeing the stars. There's breeze. There's cold. Uh, they're probably wearing jackets. Everything is calm and everything is smooth. They're going to enjoy a, a nice little trip across the sea. They've done it a thousand times. No big deal. Look at verse 24 says, And behold. That word and behold means, if you wanted to translate it, it could be and suddenly. And surprisingly, and unexpectedly, there was no weather alert that went off on their phones. They had no idea it was coming. They were sitting there just, just, just rowing across the water. Maybe not even rowing. Maybe just enjoying the time as Jesus is asleep over here. They, and Luke 8 says that Jesus was probably even asleep before they, they left the shore. As, as they got on the boat, they look over and Jesus is already asleep. Sound asleep. So they're just enjoying this time going across the sea. And then behold, suddenly, surprisingly, unexpectedly, out of nowhere, they didn't see it coming. It wasn't clouds coming. Sometimes you can see a storm coming. Yesterday we were outside here at the church and Isaiah looked at me and said, Dad, it looks like a storm's coming. At 12 years old, he knows when a storm's coming. But they didn't see it coming. It was out of nowhere. One minute, everything was fine. And then the next, the bottom falls out. And there's a, a storm that is rampaging their boat. It caught them off guard. They didn't see it coming. You say, why are you telling us this? Because that's how life treats us. You can be fine one minute. And then the very next, everything changes. And the bottom falls out of it. 
You can be, everything is normal and happy and all is well. On one day, and you get a phone call that night, and everything in your life is thrown into a storm. You never know when something is going to hit in your life. And we know that. You can be fine right now in here today. I can be fine today, but tomorrow we have no idea when, behold, a storm will hit. Suddenly, unexpectedly, out of nowhere. That's how storms hit in our life. You don't get to build up to cancer diagnosis. You don't get to build up to car accident. There's no warnings to these things. It just happens. Life throws these things at you and everything changes in a split second. And behold, <coughs> the Bible says, and behold, there arose a great storm, a great tempest in the sea. It hits hard. It was powerful. The Greek term here, and somebody asked me the other day, do you need Greek? Do you actually need that? I said, no, you don't need it to study the Bible, but it, it helps sometimes. Sometimes. It, it, it goes a little bit deeper than, than what the English can say. And I think this is one of those times, because you see that word, a great tempest, and you say, what is that? And let me, let me give you the, the Greek term for it, a mega seismos. <coughs> and the, the word mega, I think you guys can understand what the word mega is. It's, it's, it's a word meaning uh, huge. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's big. And the word seismos is what we use to describe an earthquake. They use a seismograph to measure how big an earthquake is. So what this is saying is it, it's, a, it's almost like a huge upheaval. It's like, it's like, a, like an earthquake. There's, there's violent shaking going on in, in this ship. It, it's shaking it everywhere where the boards are almost coming apart and ripping at, at, the, at the nails and at the seams. It, it's coming apart. Luke calls it a furious squall. I like that term. A violent shaking. Waves are beating up against the boat. Rain is pouring down. There's lightning hitting and thunder crashing. This is not a sprinkle. This is a hurricane. They're sailing through and sitting in the midst of the eye of a hurricane. This is what my granny and papa would call. I looked this term up and I couldn't find much on it. <laughs> I think granny and papa may have made it up. I don't know. A gully washer. <laughs> I looked up the origins of gully washer, and I don't think anybody in Google's ever looked that up before. <laughs> they would say that in a storm, it was a gully washer. It just it, it came through and wiped out everything in its path. It came and hit quick, hit hard, and wiped everything out. That's what this is. I want you to see just how furious this storm was. Beating up against the boat, coming down on them. It was chaos on that ship. It says the ship, look there with me. Behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. I don't know much about sailing, but I know that it works better if the water's on the outside of the boat, not on the inside of the boat. It says here that the water's on the inside of the boat. It's overwhelming them. It's getting into the boat. They're about to go under. It's a sinking ship. It's a life-threatening situation. They're about to go under. 
And I think we've all been, not in this situation, but we've all been in a crisis in our lives. Where we feel like we're barely treading water. Where we feel like we're just doing everything furiously that we can to stay afloat. We just can't do it. And we feel like at any time, any day, any minute, any second, we can go under. That's where they're at. And it, and it tells you what they're feeling on the boat. Jesus actually says, he says, why are you fearful? The disciples are in a panic on the boat. That's what they're doing. If you think about, if you think about it, what are they going to do? These, these, these fishermen, they're, they're, they, they know how to how to get out of the boat and, and handle situations, but they're, they're furiously rowing the boat. They're probably dumping the water out. They're probably jumping on each other. They're hanging on for dear life. They're doing everything that they know to do, and nothing is working. This is the scariest moment of their life. The one thing, the one thing that they dreaded most has now happened to them. If you're a fisherman, the one thing that you don't want to happen, if you're out on a boat, is for a storm to hit and you can't do anything about it. It's the last thing you ever want to happen to you. The last thing a fisherman wants is to get caught in this storm out on these waters and there's nothing they can do and nowhere that they can turn. It's the last thing they ever wanted to happen to them. Do you have that in your life? I remember when I was little, my mom used to say this. Maybe she remembers it, maybe she don't. She may call me a liar after we're done here today and say this didn't happen. But I remember growing up, the last thing she ever wanted to do was to get a call from the mines. The last thing she ever wanted. We got to call her ID. <laughs> we was living, living high when we got that call her ID. <laughs> you can see who's calling, you know. Not answer. <laughs> the last thing you wanted to see was the name of Dad's mines. Something's happened. Something's happened. The last thing you want is that. Look in your life and say, what's the last thing you want to hear? What's the last thing you want to hear? The one thing that scares you the most. That's what's happened to me. For my mom, <coughs> it's that phone ringing and saying, mine's. I've got it in my mind what mine would be the last thing I want to hear. What's yours? Last thing. For these fishermen, the last thing they ever wanted to happen has now happened. They're panicking. <coughs> what is Jesus doing? <laughs> Look at it. They're panicking. And Jesus is sleeping. It's the complete opposite. On one end, they panic. On the other end, Jesus sleeps. And it's the only time in the New Testament that we ever see Jesus sleeping. And he is sound asleep. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, again, Luke 8 says he fell asleep as they set sail. As they, as they pushed off from the water, he, he, he fell asleep. He had a pillow he, he's underneath where the, the captain of the ship would sit. He's out. I mean, think about this. I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, how is he doing that? He, he's sound asleep. He's tired, and, and, he's, and he's sleeping on a pillow. The lightning crashing, thunder going off, rain's coming down. These guys are rowing and dumping water and jumping all over each other, and Jesus sitting over sound asleep. 
sound asleep. The inner peace in his heart and his mind controlled the outer storm. While with the disciples, the outer storm controlled their inner peace. And the greatest thing you can do is fall asleep trusting in God. And he falls asleep like a man would. This is a picture of Jesus as a man. He got tired like we get tired. And he was wore out and he's sleeping through a hurricane. He's one of us. He's the son of man. So you see the difference. One didn't trust. They're panicking. And the other one, Jesus, did trust. So watch this. That's the crisis. I just showed you the crisis in the storm. Now let me show you the second point. Before I go to the second point, when your crisis comes, which one are you more like? Jesus, who Charles Spurgeon said, he rested that the pillow that he slept on at night was the sovereignty of God, knowing that God was in complete control. It is out, outside of his life, Charles Spurgeon said, and he had a rough time, died at 58, uh, fought depression, had, had gout, had all kinds of sickness, struggled throughout his life. He said every night with all this stuff, and he had people attacking him. I mean, he had he had people. I mean, it was it was rough. He, he went through a tough time, and, and he said every night I would lay my head down and sleep well, knowing that it was all in the hands of God. Yeah, You tell me in the midst of your storm, do you panic, or are you at peace, able to lay your head down on your pillow and fall fall asleep? So the crisis hits, and you've got two choices. A pillow or panic. Now look what happens. We see the crisis in the midst of the storm. Now let me show you the control over the storm. As you, as you look at verse 25, and his disciples, you see that his disciples came to him. I, I love that. They came to him. Think about this. They're fishermen. Their career... I stopped there, I know. And they came to him. His disciples came to him. And in my mind, I'm thinking about that. These guys are fishermen. They're experts. If you can get a doctorate in fishing, these guys had a doctorate in fishing. That's that's who they were. That's what they did. And they're now in the midst of this storm. They spent their career on boats. Their whole life had been on boats. This may have been the first time Jesus has ever been on a boat. And in the midst of this storm, they go, fishermen, go to a carpenter and ask for help. You you just don't do that unless you are at the the very most desperate time you can be at. We were working in the kitchen yesterday, and I had two carpenters, three carpenters sitting there working around, and here sits a preacher. They're not going to come ask me for help unless they're desperate. The carpenters, the expert carpenters don't ask a a preacher for help. Josh, what do you think? Oh, uh, yeah. use a hammer. You know, <laughs> you just don't do that. And that's what they're doing. Expert fishermen going to a carpenter and, and asking for help. They were desperate. They were out of options. It was out of their control. They were puny. They were helpless. They were vulnerable. They could talk about the weather, but there's nothing they could do about the weather. So they go to the 
one who can do something about the weather. They get to the point where they are so desperate that they have to run to the one who can do something. Now let me say this, and I need to apply it. Have you ever been that desperate? It's so common for us to not go to Jesus unless we get desperate. And that's okay. We need to, and I, I, you rarely see that anymore where people get so desperate to be saved and forgiven of their sins that they run to Jesus in desperation. They think they can be good enough. They think they can do enough. They think they can go to church enough. I'll take care of this myself. No, 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 no. Not until you feel vulnerable and weak and hopeless and puny. No, no way. You've got to run to Jesus and say, I can't do anything about this. You're the expert in saving my soul. Run to Jesus. So they run to Jesus. They, They came to Jesus. That's exactly where he wants us to get. Back to Charles Spurgeon. He said, you don't know desperation until you get a noose around your neck. And then you start crying out, save me. You've got to get to desperation levels. And run to Jesus and say, save me. That's where they were. And they woke him. (laughs) Love this. He wasn't quiet. He wasn't whispering. Jesus, you know, it's like me waking up my kids. I don't go and say, Christian. <laughs> no, I go in and, Christian! <laughs> it's time for church! And that's what they're doing here. It was loud. It was screaming. And all the Gospels give a different term. They're saying, Master, Lord, Teacher, wake up! And get this. The storm didn't wake him up. But the disciples do. Do you think their screaming was louder than the thunder and the lightning? Do you think their shaking was more furious than the boat shaking? The storm doesn't bother him. Doesn't get him. But the disciples do. I'll say it to you this way. We lived in Appomattox two years and probably from me to Roger, there was a train track. And every night, the train go by as loud as it could be. Wow, wow, wow. First few weeks we sit there, yeah, it bothered us. We couldn't sleep at night. It wakes up. But after two, after, after a while, you get used to it, you sleep right through it. Mom and Dad would come up and say, how do you sleep through that train? I didn't hear it last night. So that train would be going by, just this furious noise constantly going by. And we would sleep right through it. But I remember Steph, as that train would go by, but she would hear a baby cry. She'd be straight up. Straight up. Train didn't bother her. I'd still be sleeping, but the train wouldn't bother her. (laughs) But all she needed to hear was a little whisper of a child. And she was up. What's going on? Is everything okay? Baby in her arms. So the fury of the storm didn't move Jesus. But the cry of his disciples moved him. His ear is always attentive to his people. They cry unto him, Master, Lord. What do they ask him? One of the shortest prayers in the Bible. It wasn't planned. It wasn't wrote out. This is the best kind of prayers. They say, Lord. I love that. That's why I call it the Lord of the storm. They say, Lord, 
And in their mind, they're thinking, I've seen him heal leprosy. I've seen him uh, heal the paralytic. I've seen him heal fevers. I've seen him him do all kinds of of amazing things. Maybe this Lord is not only the Lord over demons and over disease. Maybe He's the Lord over disasters too. Maybe He can take this on. Maybe He can stand up and tell this storm to calm down. Maybe He can do something that we can't do. We can talk about the storm, but He can do something about it. Lord! And they say, save us. We're about to die. It's a statement of faith. You can save us. It's a statement of fear. We're about to die. We're going to perish. We're going to go down. We're going to drown. If you don't do something for us, we will not be here. That's a salvation prayer right there. I'm going to die and go to hell if you don't do something. Save me. They're hopeless. They're helpless. They're weak. They're vulnerable. They are puny. And they turn to the one who is powerful. And they turn to Jesus. What a prayer. So simple. So powerful. Save us or we'll perish. And Jesus gets up. (laughs) Don't you love it when Jesus gets up? He's... And look what he says. Before he rebukes the storm, he rebukes them. He gets up and he says, he uses a word here. Why are you scared? That word fearful. I said the Greek will help you sometimes. That word fearful. Why are you cowards? That's what the word means. I'm sure they looked at him and said, uh, <laughs> uh, you, you don't see what's going on here? We're going through some stuff here, Jesus. He says, oh, you of little faith. Don't you trust me yet? Haven't you learned to trust me yet? He says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of tiny faith. For the kids in here, oh, you of itty bitty faith. You've seen me. You know me. You should be trusting me by. He's saying, why can't you trust me? You could have enjoyed the ride. The ride of your life. If you just trust me. I think he looks at him and he's saying, you forgot three things. You know what those three things are? I think it's the same three things that we forget. When we are going through a storm. We forget number one. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Look at verse 18 with me. <coughs> Jesus saw great multitudes about him. He gave a commandment. He said, we're going to the other side. Jesus didn't say we was going to go down halfway, did he? He said, we're going to the other side. So Jesus, if he promises, it's come hell or high water, it's going to come to pass. He's going to get you there. If he promises, he's going to get you to the other side. You know what he didn't promise? He said, I'm going to get you to the other side. He didn't promise that it would be easy. He didn't promise them. He said, we're going to go from this side to this side. We'll get there. But I'm not going to promise you you ain't going to get wet along the way. I'll say this towards the end of the sermon. He's promised us he'll get us to the other side. But he has not promised us an easy pathway on the way there. And we need to remember, every storm we go through, he's promised to get me to the other side. And I can trust him because of what he's told me. The second thing we forget, 
is that Jesus is on board. I, I, I say that a lot. I, I was writing down sermons the other day, and I said, it, it's like every point. I said, I love this. I love this. And I thought, I've got to stop saying that. And then I thought, but I love it. <laughs> you know? I can't stop saying it. Jesus is on board. And he, it won't go down with Jesus on board. He's not going... This is the greatest truth maybe in the sermon. Jesus will never jump ship. Man. Doesn't the Bible say, I will never leave you nor forsake you, but I'm going to go with you all the way? So I'm going to get you to the other side. And the whole time that, 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 that you're going to the other side, you're going to go through storms, you're going to have hiccups, you're going to have valleys, you're going to have mountaintops. It's going to be a tough time. You're going to end up soaking wet. You're going to end up looking like you've been through hell. But you know what? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm going to go with you every single step of the way. I'll be there in the valleys. I'll be there in the mountaintops. I'll be there when it's breezy. I'll be there when it's stormy. I will always be with you. I'll never jump ship. And you know what? I can testify to you here today that I've been through some stuff and Jesus has never left me. That's some good stuff. You'll never face a storm alone. I love that. And the third thing we forget, I've got three of them. Three points within three points. That's pretty. I love that. <laughs> we forget that Jesus promised to get them to the other side. We forget that Jesus is with them. We forget that Jesus is at peace. If Jesus is calm, can I say this? If Jesus is calm, we should be calm. Isn't that what we do? We go on cruise ships. And if it gets stormy, you look at the captain if he's up there doing Maybe you should be doing <laughs> If I go and get on the airplane, I look up in the, in the cockpit and there's just a pilot and he's like, oh no. I'm going to sit back there and say, oh no. But if I look up and the captain's like, then I can be like, if Jesus is calm, we should be calm. You say, when does Jesus panic? He don't. There's no panic in heaven. Only plans. I heard a preacher say one time, be whatever Jesus is. If Jesus is at peace, you be at peace. If Jesus is calm, you be calm. Then he added, if Jesus is mad, you be mad. Be what Jesus is. They couldn't be in a safer place. They missed out on a ride of a lifetime where they could have sit back and enjoyed getting to the other side in the midst of a storm. We often miss out on a ride of a lifetime because we spend the entire, our entire lifetime panicking about it. You miss out on life because you panic. I say you. We miss out on life when we forget that Jesus is with us and it's going to be okay. Can you imagine? It would have been like a roller coaster. We did that this summer. We went to that, that water park at Dollywood. 
And you get on those things and they go all over the place. They're spraying water at you. It's, just, it's the funnest thing in the world. I mean, our kids, just, we just eat it up. We're getting soaked. I mean, they're just spraying that stuff right at you. And we're just laughing and having a good time. In my mind, that's what they could have been. Oh, it's just great. You know, boat back and forth, water in your face, everything crashing and going down. And they're sitting there saying, Jesus said we're going to the other side. Jesus is with us. I trust him. Nothing's going to happen to us. Smile on their face. If only they trusted Jesus. They could go to the other side like we did after we got off those rides and said, Woo, let's do it again. <laughs> right? But instead they panicked. And Jesus says, You guys ain't learned to trust me yet? I got this. I got this. And he does. Because once he stands up, and their problem was, and our problem is, where their eyes were. Their eyes were on the storm all around them. Instead of the Savior right there with them. Can I say it again? Can you hear me say it again? Because oftentimes our eyes are on the storms all around us. Instead of looking to the Savior that's right there with us. So Jesus gets up, stands up, he rebukes, it says there, he speaks, look what he says. Then he arose, he stood up, he stood up in the boat, and he rebuked the winds and the sea. To rebuke means scold it. It's what you do to somebody who's beneath you. I rebuke my kids. I do it all the time. Stop it! <laughs> I, mean, I spend my life with, with, with Christians. They stop that! Stop that! Put that down! Don't hit her! Don't do that! Don't! I'm to, you know, just rebuking my kids. Don't! 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 Be quiet! Shh! Silence! <laughs> just I mean, that's my life. Rebuking! The Bible says that you got to do that as a preacher. That you rebuke, reprove, and you rebuke. There's not a lot of rebuking going on in churches anymore. People are afraid to rebuke. But sometimes you have to do it. Stop that. Quit that. Be quiet. That ain't right. Sometimes you got to rebuke. Sometimes I do it with my kids. But you know what? We said at the beginning, who has power over weather? I can't get out there and say, stop that! <laughs> I need a pretty day! <laughs> I'm underneath the storm. It rebukes me. <laughs> Lightning, boom, get back in your house. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus stands up and he orders it. Again, no theatrics. It's like he wants to go back to sleep. Alright, guys. <laughs> no prayer. No theatrics. He just says it. He orders it. He commands it. He puts it in its place. The other Gospels say, He says, peace be still. Which means that He says, hush. He says, zip it. He says, silence. He says, shh. And the storm says, that's the voice of my Creator. And the voice runs. The voice is, uh, the storm runs. It's, it's rebuked. It's, it, it runs away whimpering like a little whipped puppy. The storm 
want to do that in the middle of sermons when I see people talking. Shh. Sometimes I want to do that in the middle of my sermons when, when I see people sleeping. I don't want to say shh. I want to be lining up. Boom. You know. <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> they think they're being all. You know, I, he will see me. Or he, he thinks I'm praying. <laughs> one who created it, the one who sustains it, now controls it. <coughs> the same rebuke, get this, that he gave to the diseases and that he gave to the demons, he now gives to the disasters. Which means he has control over the diseases, over the demons, and over the disasters. There's nothing in this world that is not underneath his feet. Right. Matthew 28 says, All authority has been given to me yes. in heaven and in earth. You go and preach the gospel. All authority. There is nothing above Jesus. He looks down at the demons. He looks down at the disasters. He looks down at everything. And he rebukes it and it does exactly what he says for it to do. And he can look down in the midst of your storms. If that storm can be controlled by Jesus, no matter what you're going through, <coughs> your disease, your demons, your disasters, he can say, shh. And they say, that's the voice of my creator. And it runs away. That's his control. He silences it. And understand this, is it goes from, I got, I got so much more to cover. We're going to be here till the two o'clock fall fest. <laughs> look, look, look with me. I mean, I, it's just, I love these, the way he contrasts these things. Because look, look in verse 24. And behold, there was a, what did it say? A great tempest, a great storm. And now when Jesus does this, and it says, and he arose and rebuked the winds of the sea, and there was a great a mega, you see that the same word, mega, calm. There was a great tempest, and now there's a great calm. And it happened immediately. It happened quickly. The waves, the winds can stop like that. I get that. The waves don't stop like that. You can get in a swimming pool, and you can get waves going. <laughs> We've we, we done that this summer. Get to get waves going in the swimming pool. You know, just get them pounding up against the walls. And and we've done it at Cookie's Pool. Just, I, I just now told her that. But we just get the, get the waves going. And, and you sit there and, and you'll sit and watch it for a few minutes after it's over. And it takes a while to calm down, don't it? You sit there and watch it. It's still. Two or three minutes later, still going, still going. It takes it a while. But when Jesus said, shh, the wind said, okay. And the waves said, Ooh. perfect calm, perfect peace. On the spot. Split second, quickly, suddenly, as fast as it came, it's now gone. And that's how the diseases respond. I, 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 you got to see this. How did the diseases respond? When he said, fever, be gone, the fever, be gone. The fever didn't stick around. Fever was gone. When he said to the, to the leprosy, be gone, leprosy, be gone. It was gone. It, was, it, it responded immediately. The disease said, leprosy said, oh, well, there, there's my master. There's the Lord of disease. I'm leaving. When the palsy, he said, palsy be gone. What, what did palsy do? I want to stick around a little while. Palsy left. When he tells the storm to cease, the storm didn't say, I'm still going to shake him around just a little while. Let's give him one more good shake, then I'll go. 
immediately, split second, twinkling of an eye. Obey the command of its master. Can I go back to last week? Because Jesus commands, you guys are forgetting my mind, disease, and it obeys immediately. He demands and rebukes demons, and they respond immediately. He does it with disaster, and it responds immediately. And then when he stood and looked at his disciples last week, and he said, follow me, you had three different disciples that said, I don't want to go bury my dad. I'm going to go tell my family bye. I've got some stuff to do first. Everything in this universe obeys its master immediately. But us. How dare we act like we don't have to obey immediately. When Jesus says donkey talk, donkey talks. When Jesus tells the whale to spit out Jonah, I've told this before, I, seriously, I'm running out of time. When Jesus tells, when, when God tells the whale to spit out Jonah, He tells him where to spit him out, when to spit him out, how to spit him out. And the whale says, yes, sir. For for some reason, we open up Scripture, we see clear commands telling us what to do, and we say, Maybe later. Like we are above Him. How dare we? Everything obeys its Master but us. Bow the knee. Submit. That's the voice of my Creator. And it was calm. I've got to move on. He speaks and it's done. Do you have any idea what kind of power that is? Any idea? To control the weather? And think about this, and I'll move on to the third point. I've got like five minutes for third point. Jesus was sleeping and exhausted as the Son of Man, and He wakes up. Exhausted. Exhausted. I mean, he's, he's, he's sound asleep. Exhausted. Have you ever been that exhausted? I mean, I've been that way. I know what it feels like to be so exhausted. I, I, I've done that to tell you. When I get on an airplane, I'm so exhausted after being gone. I'll get on that airplane, and before the captain says, welcome, I'm out. You know, head on some kind of stranger's shoulder. <laughs> and somebody woke me up and said, Josh, preach! I, mean, I couldn't do it. Well, they woke up the Son of Man who was exhausted and He gets up and has the power to control a storm? He didn't get up half a you know, and you know, give me a minute, guys. <laughs> Need my coffee. He got up and immediately said, shh. And it done. The Son of Man sound asleep exhausted. The Son of God because He is man and He is God. Stands up and controls the winds and the rain. This may make no sense scientifically, but it makes plenty of sense theologically. Amen. Last point, I'll close. It's the calm after the storm. We've seen the crisis, we've seen the control, and now you see the calm after. It says in verse 27, I've got one verse to preach. One, one more left. Maybe 30 minutes, we've got one verse left. What did they do? 
There's calm. They're all sitting. Just in your mind, think about it. It's calm now. Jesus stood up. I love those pictures that it paints of Jesus with one foot on the edge of the boat. And he's saying, calm, peace. And in the back of the boat, they're looking at him like, oh my goodness. And they're not sitting there. They're not sitting there. It didn't go back to normal. They're like giving each other fist bumps and high fives. They're sitting there and they're looking at him. And it says they're, they're amazed. And it says they're astonished. It says they're looking at him and they're saying, wow, I, I've never seen anything like this before. The Old Testament says only God can control a storm. And here in our boat is a man who controls the storms. Oh my goodness, who is this guy? They're amazed. Their jaws are dropped. Their eyes are open. It actually says in Mark 4 that they are fearing exceedingly. They're shaking in their boat. They're sitting there, oh my goodness, who is this guy? And they actually say that there. Who is this guy? They're speechless. They are in the presence of greatness. And they are speechless. They say that. Look what it says. What? kind of man is this? Wow. He controls the weather. We talk about the weather. He does something about it. He breaks natural law. We've never seen anything like this in all of history. No book has ever been written about a man like this. There's no category. There's no comparison. He's no ordinary man. He is the God-man. Oh my, who is this guy? I like that. There's all the other men who's ever lived. And in a category all by himself, there's Jesus Christ. Yeah. We've never seen anybody like him. It's obvious. The only explanation why winds and rains obey him is he's their creator. He's their God. Jesus is God incarnate. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is the eternal God. Yes. That's who He is. Who is this guy? He's God. You need to know that today. He is God. He's the Son of God. I'll give you a couple of verses. I don't have time to do it, but I'm going to. I'm feeling froggy, so you've got to jump, right? <laughs> Matthew 14. You guys can turn to just, just for a second. I've got three... Three different passages I want to read to you, and then, and then we'll, we'll stop. Matthew 14, verse 33. <laughs> this is a passage where they're out on a, on a boat in the middle of a storm, and, and Jesus shows up walking on water. It says in verse 32, And when they were coming to the ship, and the wind ceased, then that they that were in the ship came and worshipped Him, saying, It is true, you are the Son of God. They knew it. I'll give you another one. John 1. Just, just turn over. I'll, I'll put it in order to make it easy for you. John 1. In the beginning. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same. This one was in the beginning with God. All things. He's the Creator God. All things were made by Him. All things. There's not anything in this world He didn't make. And He doesn't control right now. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the Creator God. I'll give you another one. You didn't ask for it, but I'm giving it to you. Colossians 1. Verse 
verse 15. In, who is the image of the invisible God? <laughs> the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created. See, there's that same term. All things were created that are in heaven and that are in the earth. Visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. Amen. That verse says there's not anything that's not under Him. John Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, said, Jesus sleeping showed He was a man. Him calming the storms declared Him to the universe to be God. Yeah. What, a, what a statement. Back to Matthew. And now I'm closing. Matthew, Matthew 8, verse 28. Verse 18 says, And when Jesus saw the great multitudes about Him, He gave a commandment and said, We're going to the other side. Verse 28 and when he was come to the other side. You see that? He said, verse 18, we're going to the other side. In verse 28, they arrived on the other side, just like he said they would. They got there. Made their appointment to the demon-possessed man. And Jesus says, you're going to the other side. You're going to the other side. This shows Jesus is God. And Jesus can be trusted to handle every storm that you'll go through. Amen. What does this say to me? I don't like asking that. How does this apply to me? I think Jesus is screaming in this passage, I am God, you can trust me. Yes. I am God, you can trust me. Yes. I needed that this week. I am God, you can trust me. I am God, you can trust me. So if you're in a storm right now, and maybe you are. Or maybe you will be soon. You step out of here and behold! Suddenly! Jesus promises you'll get to the other side. You'll make it. It might not be, e might not be easy. You might show up soaking wet at the gates. I, I think that's how we're all going to end up in heaven. When we get there and we stand before God, we're all going to be rugged. We're all going to be soaking wet. We're all going to have a hard time. No, nobody's going to get there easy. It's not going to be easy peasy. It's not going to be a bed of roses. We're going to get there. It's going to be, I've made it. Jesus, I told you, you're going to make it to the other side. Don't expect easy. But guess what? You're going to make it. You don't lose anybody. Right. And if you're going through a storm right now, the promise is, I will never leave you. You're, you're not going to go through this without me. I'll give you another quote. That promise that I will never leave you, this is Robert Murray McShane, says it reaches through the darkest hours of temptation, it reaches into the deepest waters of affliction, the hottest fires of persecution, it reaches into death, through death, and through the grave, all the way into eternity. He will never leave you. He'll always be in the boat with you. That's a good promise. And He's always at peace. There's no panic in heaven. There's only plans. So he looks at you today and me and says, Josh, you can trust me. I've got this. I've got it. You say, what has he got? Whatever it is you're going through. Whatever it is you're going through. He has it. He has it. Don't, don't panic. He's got it. Finances, he's got it. Family, he's got it. He's got it. You can trust Him. Amen. And if you're here today and you're not saved, you're in the boat all by yourself. You're going through life alone. I just Family will jump ship. 
Friends will jump ship. People will get out on you and you'll be all by yourself and you're going through life and you have nobody to turn to, nobody to look to. You have nobody. You're, you're alone in this world. You're without God, the Bible says. Without God in this world, that's the worst thing that you can ever have. Storms will hit and you've got nobody to turn to, nobody to look to. You're all by yourself and you will perish. You will drown in the fires of hell for all eternity. You're going down. You say, what do I do? Save me or I'll perish. Save me. It's so simple. It's so easy. Save me or I'll perish in hell for all eternity. I'm beyond hope. I'm helpless. I'm vulnerable. I'm puny. But you are powerful to save. Save me or I'll perish. And you know what he'll do? Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Souls in danger, look above. Jesus completely saves. He will lift you by His love out of the angry waves. Love so mighty and so true. That's my soul's best song. Faithful, loving service do to Him belong. Love lifted me. If you just say it, save me or I'll perish. I'll die in my sin. Oh, He'll save you. He'll save you today. Because He's not only the master of the storm. I'll close with this. He's the master of salvation. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for a great, 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 great passage. I wish I could preach it every week. But I pray that it's impacted us today. Those in a storm, we need this. We need to have meaning to it to us. Please let it do that. Let it impact us. And for those who are alone in this world without God, may they today cry out from their heart, save me or I'll perish. You put them in desperation. You put them in a place where they have nowhere else to turn and nothing else to look to but their Savior. Please, God, today, use this passage for the saving of souls, and for the comforting of our own hearts. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music plays, y'all listen.